HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca. Ithaca, New York boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation among 150 waterfalls. Plan your trip today with help from visitithaca.com. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. It's HRN's 10th anniversary and now our summer fun drive. So show your support for independent, revolutionary, entertaining food radio by becoming a monthly recurring donor. HRN is powered by a passionate community of thoughtful eaters and we need each and every one of you to show your support so that we can keep bringing you your favorite food podcasts. It takes a village and every dollar donated Every listener tuning in is essential to our continued success. So set up a donation for $10 every month. You'll show us that you want to be a part of a bright future for HRN. And you'll get one of our brand new limited edition Pizza Pocket t-shirts. So snag your new favorite tea and show us some love. All for the price of about two fancy lattes each month. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. And thank you. Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Chris Leon. We'll talk to Chris about how to buy the right wines in a wine shop. We'll talk about his shop, Leon and Son, and a lot, lot more. We'll taste the red blend from Sicily that Chris brought in for our weekly wine sip. He also snuck another bottle in, which we'll give that a taste too. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. Sam, we bring wine to the people. All right. Chris Leon grew up with wine around the table via his dad. His early love for hospitality and eventually wine led him to Sonoma. He attended the French Culinary Institute, which is now the International Culinary Center after college. 
got a degree in restaurant management. Chris went on to open and operate restaurants in New York City and earned his advanced WSET certificate. He knew hospitality extended beyond the walls of a restaurant and opened Leon and Son, a highly curated wine shop in Brooklyn. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Chris. Sam, thanks so much for having me. Was that intro accurate? I, you nailed it. Okay, <laughs> That's good. me. All right, let's, let's give people a little background. Okay. Um, tell me about your journey in life and wine okay. that got you, one, across from me, and two, owning and running a wine shop in bustling Brooklyn. So, one, I would, uh, wine has been part of my life since before being 21 years of age. Okay. I grew up with it. Um, on the table and sometimes in my glass. And when I did turn 21, I had a very formative, formative summer in uh, Los Angeles where I spent very little time working and a lot of time traveling up the coast and specifically up the coast with my father who took me to Santa Barbara, Paso Robles, San Luis Obispo and the central coast and kind of gave me my light bulb moment. So Were those areas he was interested in? He was interested in not spending time in L.A. and being okay. around wine. So when he came to visit me, he wanted to make sure he wasn't in L.A. Okay. <laughs> so just quickly on him, no background in wine, just a love? A deep love. Okay. He went to school in Spain, and it was his. he was there sort of like right when Franco was, was leaving power. And uh, Spain was having its cultural revolution and people were pulling corks and re, re, you know, refining art and culture in a way they right. never had before. And part of that was with wine and that he was really a part of that. Right. All right. So you're traveling up the coast with your dad. Keep going. Yeah. And I had, it was the first time I had seen vineyards and spoken with winemakers. And it was one of those things where I didn't know how to do it, but I wanted to be in it. And I think... That's a great like parallel to the wine industry. There's so many ways to jump into it. And so when I came back to school, when I was going to University of Illinois, I went to the f only restaurant in Champaign, Illinois that had a deep <laughs> wine list. It was called Radio Maria Tapas Bar. And they had like a 300 wine, you know, bottle wine list, um, like Tres Picos and like all, you right. know, everything. And I wanted to be there. And they asked me what my experience was. And I said, none. And so they put me in the kitchen. Okay. <laughs> and that was my... Got through the door. Yeah, and I completely sacrificed sort of my social, any social life I had my last year of college so I, so I could have that experience. And it was formative and kind of took me off into falling in love with hospitality, falling into love with wine, and sitting across from you. So this is your senior year in Champaign-Urbana. Correct. At, you know, how good is a restaurant in Champaign-Urbana? So the most fun year in college is your senior year. You kind of throw that all away, and you're in this restaurant, and that's that's the bulb went off, hospitality. Oh, man. I had more fun than anyone else at the University of Illinois in 2007, I okay. guarantee you, because uh, I was drinking wine. Okay. So you're at the restaurant. How long and where does it take you? So I graduated in 08, and I wanted to be in the industry with every ventricle of my heart, and my folks asked me to not. <laughs> they asked me to, please, Chris, use your degree, go do something okay. that involves not being in restaurants. So I, I tried that. And I tried for like three or four years. I started working for a children's charity that I loved. I traveled quite a bit in Central South America. But when I turned around 25, 2012, 
Um, I, I, I just, I had to start all over because. Did every- you have a brief stint at uh, MTV? I did. Yeah. <laughs> so you were everywhere. So you had like real jobs and stuff. I had, I did like a thing. Had See like what dr- you do for your parents. I had a direct deposit at the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> and then I, I started all over. I decided in like, to sort of break a lease here in New York, jump in my car, drive across country, and move to Sonoma without a job. And I started working tasting rooms. I took seller jobs. And then I got a job with... Um, Question, though. Yep. Why Sonoma? Why not Napa? You know, why not, you sure. know, sure, no, Santa no. Barbara, Paso? You know, why? Sonoma's interesting, and it was a good choice, but why there? Yeah, it was. I had an emotional connection to Sonoma because my folks... Uh, it was like their respite, an annual respite for them. And I, once it was okay for me to be joining them on those respites, it also became, you know, sort of my other home. And so I knew some people there, but just casually. And I went there and on the charity of many, many people, I was able to get housing in a married couple's house and get, you know, start working in, uh, do you know Naked Wines, that like crazy subscription service? I worked in their taste. It was my first job in wine. (laughs) And I... I just said yes to everything. Any job people would give me, I said yes to. Just to be there and you know, just make wanted, a living and all that. I loved it. What does that lead to? I mean, did you get to any wineries or anything? Absolutely. You know, this was in 2012, and the pendulum was really swinging. Like, New California was a term that was just starting to be branded. You know, Matthiasen was starting to be distributed nationally. And it was one of those things where I John was... John Bonet at the Chronicle was pushing that. Yeah, and he was still writing at the Chronicle at the time. Yeah. And I heard he was starting to write the book, and I was so excited because I was physically watching it happen. And I wanted to not only be a part of it, but I wanted to tell that story. So I always knew that I was going to be on the East Coast. I'm an East Coast guy. So when I was done with the 12 Harvest, I stayed through the end of the year, and I came back to New York kind of in the same way that I came to the West Coast with no money and no job. So then what happens? I what year is that? Two thousand, The end of 2012. 12. I went so what you had, you, you did what you wanted out west. Correct. You knew you were coming back. You came back. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you just traveled across no money. <laughs> and did you have a notion of... I still drive that car, by the way. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Do you. Did you have a notion of, you know, restaurant, wine bar? I thought restaurant. Okay. Uh, I went to the French Culinary Institute, like you said, correctly. And I think it's now the International Culinary Center. ICC. Yeah. yeah. There's also an ICE. <laughs> So ICC, yeah, ICC. I get it all confused. Yeah. Um, and and I landed what I think is now one of the best jobs I've ever had. I started bartending at a restaurant called The Tangled Vine. I don't know if you're familiar with The Tangled Vine. It sounds familiar. Where was it in the city? It was 81st in Amsterdam. And cool neighborhood, residential. Yeah, and you couldn't ask for a better place to cut your teeth because it was an all old world wine list. And again, this was in 2000, the end of 2012. They'd been open for a year. They had an orange wine list in wow. 2012. Wow. People were asking me if wines were made with oranges. Um, you <laughs> That's know? right. And I went from like learning about Hirsch and Litteri and True Cinema Coast to trying to figure out what, you know, they had Core Chevrony by the glass. They had things that were, you know, I still think to this day is super ahead of where a lot of programs I was just going to say, it sounds like they were ahead of their time. But you were allowed to make mistakes because it was residential. You were allowed to learn. You didn't have to come in with, you know, your, with your sommelier and your pin and understand you know you could go in there pull corks and have a conversation with guests because you were both learning right and that was awesome now the owner was who was was this the guy driving that no no it's a guy named bruce kravitz and he was just a guy who 
was dedicated to the neighborhood and I had a vision to open a wine bar and he hired somebody who now works for David Bowler, um, uh, Evan Spingarn, um, and he, uh, who manages the, the German portfolio, uh, and he put the list together. And it's funny to see the family tree uh, from Tanglevine now, this little place on the Upper West Side because there's a master song from there. Uh, there's, uh, there's now a winemaker from there. There's someone doing national sales for Regal. And we were all in like our wow. early to mid-20s. And Very it's cool. so cool just to see. And it was my first job in New York City restaurants. Wow. So how long were you there? About a year. And then I jumped over to Asuka, the first location of Asuka, um, which is a Scandinavian restaurant in Williamsburg um, on White Street. And then I went and opened uh, an Italian wine bar for somebody else in the Upper East, Upper East Side called Bar Prima. And it was like my tumble down the rabbit hole of Italian wine, which I'm still in. Were there a bunch of wine bars up there or not really? No, no one really pushing. Yeah. Um, you know, it was on 81st between 1st and 2nd, which is... Big residential. Why Italian? The, uh, the owner wanted a... The owner was dedicating it to his wife, who had passed away, who was Italian, and it was important to him that was Italian. It was, an, I mean, I don't mind saying this because he's a, he's a nice guy, and I think he realizes this. He didn't come from restaurants, and it was an amazing learning experience for me because he got to just hand over this enormous responsibility of opening and then operating, even if it was a small operation, and, and buying. When you look back, I mean, I'm sure there are things you would change or whatever, but do you think you did a good job? I think I did a great job. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I was really into the other at the time. I was really into kind of finding the most esoteric, interesting thing that was happening in Italy. And now when I reach for Italian wine, I want to just be comforted with the, the smells and aromas of, of right. Nebbiolo and classic Chianti Classico and stuff like that. Right. Um, all right. So you're there how long? I want to say two and a half years, you stayed for a maybe, while. maybe a couple of years. You know, I signed my lease to Leon and Son while I was still working because the licensing for retail is so bizarre that you I can, knew it would take time it, and that it was contentious enough that I might not even get it. All right. So we're at an in interesting point because, you know, you cut your teeth on opening this place on your own. The owner's not that involved, but somewhere down the line, probably towards the middle end, you're signing we're looking for Leon and son. Tell me about that moment. I got to open my own place. I'm going to do it in Brooklyn. I'm going to look everywhere. Brook you know, how, how did that part come up? I was living in Clinton Hill and I knew that when I decided to make a foray into wine, it was, it was a career choice. It wasn't a hobby. It wasn't, it was, this is what I was going to do for life. So when 2012, when I made that choice, I always felt in a really positive way that I was checking boxes off in terms of experience. Uh, and I finally felt like I had checked the boxes where I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready to open something. And I thought that something was a bar. But then I saw 995 Fulton Street. It was all papered up. And I, uh, I caught the landlord's attention. He let me in. And I didn't realize because my storefront is very small. But it opens up kind of in the back and it goes very far back for New York retail. And give people an idea where the store is. We're in Clinton Hill. Right, which is a great residential neighborhood absolutely restaurants you know townhouses how far just so people know how far is the barclay center 10 minute walk right yeah you know so you're not far from there no it, it i mean i'm a total homer for clinton hill it's the best right you know it's full of inspired businesses and an incredible community who gives a shit about their businesses they not only 
want to see you succeed. They almost, they take ownership of their neighborhood, which and is so cool. I would guess they were craving for a store like that. Were there other competitors in a radius? Yes. Um, there are some really good stores in the neighborhood, and there's still, you know, there was when I opened, and there still are. Um, there's Olivino, there's Green Grape, there's Thirst, there's Vanderbilt Wine Merchant. Um, I'm sure I'm missing somebody. And everyone can, can hold their, you know, client base and thrive to what extent they want i hope so i'm the believer in you know the tide rises all boats and we're all far enough away that i think and i know that we send customers to neighboring stores because if it makes sense absolutely so when do you leave preemi so i left uh so bar prima prima Premi was the it was the better known place uh, is uh downtown carmelini right <laughs> Pre- bar prima go ahead i uh I left in 2015, early 2015, maybe late 14. It's a little bit of a blur. I got my license, and I'll never forget this. I got my license in March of 2015, and we opened the doors in May of 2015. Wow. Um, I was like, put, you know, we... Is, can you do anything before the license? Can you do construction or anything? You or? can, but you'd be crazy to. So at that point when you got it, that's when you started. In that two months, oh, I wiped it. You put together the shop as soon. Oh man, Jesus! <laughs> and it had didn't inventory, have, everything, everything, stuff on the shelf. I already knew the selection though. Like, yeah, that part is that's the easy part. Yeah, the building, I never built anything in my life. I'm still not handy. My wife is the handy one. I, but it was a raw space. There was no bathroom. There's just it was just subflooring. So. The, the, the double-edged sword is that it was a raw space and you had to spend to, to build it out. And we spent 50000 to build out the space, which is New York. It's like nothing. Nothing. And uh, we... Uh, and, and But the beauty is we got to build what we wanted. I'm so proud of it. And you don't need to go over the top. No. We, we have... We I have mean, gr- you have exposed brick and stuff, right? And we've grown into the space. You know, right. we opened up with like 350 SKUs. It's just so... And I'm zero staff. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that in a minute because I'm sure you have more staff and more SKUs. Um, so you open in 15. Yep. And what'd you say, May? May, yep. 22nd was the soft opening. 29th was the grand opening. And you're still there. All right. We're going to talk about Leon and Son in a minute. But I have you here, and I want to talk about wine. And I think you... I think you were right about the fact that you talked about, you know, a neighborhood store, a community, everyone working together. And we're big advocates on this show that, you know, if you like wine and you're looking for it, you should really look for stores like yours or the others and talk to the owners or the people there because the interest, curation, and time, you know, is so important. And you probably have stuff that, you know, a lot of people don't have. So... People are intimidated by wine. Um, they're intimidated by sommeliers and restaurants. I think they're even intimidated, you know, in wine shops when they walk totally, in. Totally agree with you. Um, I need you to help me demystify <laughs> um, walking into your local wine shop um, and tell everyone how they can get the best experience by buying the best wines. So let's start with the premise, and you and I talked about this a little earlier that there's at least three kinds of customers. The guy who knows nothing, the guy who knows a little or a little more, and I always say this because I won't give the guy who knows a lot credit, but the guy who thinks he knows a lot. <laughs> you know, he's like the uh, master of the universe. Yeah, sure. Um, 
So let's focus on the first, you know, two guys, because those are the customers we care about. I'm one of those guys. I walk in. You know, I drink wine with my friends. Mm -hmm. I uh, go to dinner parties and all that. But I don't know that much about wine. But I like it, and I want to know more. I walk in. You know, I'm either trying to buy stuff for my apartment or for a dinner party. What do I do? I mean, I walk in. What should I be telling you? What are you going to be know, asking me? The responsibility isn't on on that person. It's on the staff and it's on the owner. And that what 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 those people should be doing is engaging in a like in a in a way that I would I'd hope a restaurant would want to engage. And I, it's a big thing. For I can only I've never worked retail, so I can only speak to what we do. You brought the hospitality into the store. We treat the shop like a restaurant. You know, everyone, almost everyone in the shop either has a restaurant job, either some in the city, or they have worked in restaurants. And we talk about chatting with customers like touching a table and taking care of people and engaging with people. And I think the coolest thing that, you know, the legendary Danny Myers ever said is that customers hold up signs, right? You can tell when someone's scared shitless and they don't want to, and they don't know what they're doing. Um, just you guide them, you know, you, you take the bull by but the... But let's get specific. Okay. You know, so you have a semi-scared shitless guy. Um... <laughs> You yeah. know, he wants to buy stuff. You know, he doesn't know much. Sure. So what's the check down on him? You know, how do you get him to where... I think that the most awkward thing is price point, And you have to just... You just got to call it out. And so the first thing is price. Yeah. What do you want to spend? Is that a fair question? Yeah. What, what price point are we playing with? Is what I say that at least like 50 times a day. Okay. What price point are we playing with? And, you know, if they say... You know, under fifteen dollars, then that that is awesome because you could just lock that in, and that is a very specific set of wines. Um, and from there, you just you go, you kind of work backwards. You know, it becomes how you're trying to engage with wine, and that can be you can get a master psalm walking in through the door, or you can get someone who knows nothing about wine, and it's the same question that you're trying to get to: is how are you trying to get engaged with wine? Is it just like you said, quaffing with your friends, or is are you having dinner? Are you trying to impress? And it really ends up driving the conversation. So in that in that situation, I would tell the customer just to, A, be totally transparent about what you're trying to spend. Everyone just wants to help you. Don't, don't feel like you have to be a baller. No. You know, tell them what you have and want to spend. And the same thing okay, at a restaurant. Okay, so be honest about price. Now we move from price to what? We move to, and then what do you, why, why are you picking this up? Is this to go home after work? Is this pizza night is this my first date what is this and situation totally and if it's with other people i love to ask about the person because wine you know you you can stereotype a little bit with who if if this is coming from mom and dad or if this is going home to like your hipster buddy these are different bottles of wine you're putting in that person's hand right um what about pairings if people are cooking i mean absolutely. you certainly want absolutely to I mean, you'll, you'll ask them, what is this for dinner? Absolutely. Right. And, and, you know, you get really challenging ones. People wanting red wine with, with incredibly spicy I'm making food. asparagus salad. <laughs> right? I love screwed. I, people, I, you know, I get, I get Pratt students being like, I'm making a can of beans. You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> um, do you run into difficult customers where you can't sort of decipher what they want or... They're just totally open, and they'll take what you give them. I, it's a, you know, I think that we're, and I think got the guys here at Roberta's could probably say the same thing, that we're in a privileged situation that uh, in Brooklyn, I think, <clears throat> with wine, that people are open. 
people want to experience things and will and if you've built that trust um we don't deal with too many people who are pains in the asses um the the person who really really doesn't know what they want are ends up being the person who thinks that they know right. a lot right so do you think that brooklynite the clinton hill guy is different than let's say a manhattan consumer uh oh it's loaded um i mean i'm not gonna throw in queens or staten island (laughs) but i think that the brooklyn consumer if we're boiling it down and crystallizing it i think the brooklyn consumer is a little more open i do think that maybe to a fault the brooklyn consumer shies away from things that they might see as institutional or as as classic contrarian for the sake of being contrarian absolutely right You'll, you'll see a little more of that, yeah. Mm-hmm. You'll probably see less, like, Wall Street guys walking around Brooklyn <laughs> than you would downtown, you know, yeah, yeah, in yeah. a village or whatever. Um, is there, you know, you'd mentioned price is really the first thing that you talk about, because um, I think that would royal people. You know, if the guy walked in and wanted to spend fifteen twenty dollars, and you just launched a $38 bottle on him. Oh, yeah. You know, um, is there... In your store, in your mind, is there a sweet spot? Like, don't go below this, and you don't necessarily have to go above this to get good wines from everywhere. Now, that being said, if you need to spend less or, you know, it's an occasion you want to spend more, is there that sweet spot? I think $20 (laughs) is probably the sweet spot where someone can feel that they're getting a wine of place and purpose um, in most places in the world, 20 25 bucks. If you're spending under $20, you can still get phenomenal wine, but I don't think you can get it. At, I think you have to be really careful about where in the world you're getting it. And we do have lots of wine under $20. And I love driving people to certain corners of the shop for that. Um, so the sweet spot, I think that where you can have a hall pass through the whole shop and feel like you're just like going to win, win, win and in a really good inspired store is like 20, 25 bucks. So is that Leon and Son? Or is that you answering the question? So now I'm in Leon and Son. What's my sweet spot no, for? Our shop is awesome. So you're gonna no, <laughs> you're gonna spend. You know your dollar is gonna get you a good bottle of wine. Um, Whatever you spend. Yeah, I, that's you know the hardest thing to do for us. <clears throat> the hardest part of buying is buying inexpensive wine, you know, and finding it to be transparent and what you want it to be. Same thing on a, a SOM list, you know, at a restaurant. Absolutely. The cheaper stuff and all of that. So wait, say that again, about 20, 25 bucks? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I know. We'll, we'll get to that, but that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> um, <clears throat> one of the things that I've noticed, I think something that's been dominating, you know, wine in this show is the consumer. Millennials, um, Gen Xers, and all that. Different habits than baby boomers and those other guys. What's the difference with them? Are they more interested in the story than the name, than the price, than the status? I mean, have things changed? No. Really? I Explain. Think, no, I think that things are, are like branded slightly differently in terms of how they're experiencing, but they're looking for the same thing. The same guy who is looking for... Schaefer Hillside Select in 1992 is the same person who's trying to find Frank Cornelius in Magma. It's good point. It's the same thing, and it's a it, it and there's really cool, great things about both those things, and there are some very cynical things about both those things. So, 
the equation is that guy now is looking for what are the hot or hip trophy wines or whatever. It's aesthetic. Not so much the story that this guy hand tills, you know. No, or but like the guy in 92 might love that Doug Schaefer got to Stag's Leap. He carved into this hill. He might love that story. And there might be the guy who really loves that Frank has this experience on Etna and is just making inspired, honest, stripped-down wine. Right. Um, but I think there's... that. You, I think that they're closer than I think the narrative out there actually is. It's a good point. You know, it really, uh, I I didn't think of it that way because when I talk to guests about millennials, you know, when they go to restaurants, less patience, less money, you know, they care more about the story of the chef and all of that. But I think with wine, it's it's sort of right too because there's enough influencers that are talking about Frank Cornelison or, yeah. you know, all those other guys. All right, let me tap into your head because you do this, I'm sure, in your sleep too, you know. Um, tell me about some wines, varietals, grapes, producers, regions of recent, current, you know, that are exciting you. Oh. Um, that maybe you're ordering this year that you didn't last year i mean what's what's you know like there's there there are wi- like these wildly popular producers like we're talking about frank cornelison they get a lot of love on instagram and social media and s- I, I think some of them are like really worth the hype and one of them is method sauvage in california um those who's wine, behind that it's oh, i can't remember his name. yeah i i, I, I just I thought met, maybe you would know it's <laughs> s-a-u-v-a-g-e method yeah. sauvage um and what kind of stuff are they making they're doing, you know, he's working with Cap Franc, Chenin Blanc, Chardonnay, and but I, the style is very. The wines are just, they're delicious. They're made, they're made very naturally, and they kind of hit those, they kind of hit those marks for what people are looking, and they check the boxes for what people are looking to, to kind of glom onto that story you're talking about for what is I think you're referring to natural wine, right? Um, and but the wines ultimately are delicious. And I think I, I tasted it. It's only just because it's top of mind. I, I just recently tasted his whole lineup, and I really was like, I have to, I have to tip my cap. This this whole lineup is delicious, wow. and I'm I so I picked up everything. Really, <laughs> I put it all on the shelf. Um, accessible to you and available for the uh, customer. Accessible to us right now, and but it doesn't sit on the shelf. No. I guess is the point. Well, a couple cases of every skew. Right. And they'll be there for, you know, three or four weeks. And okay. then, but they're all in the 20s. There might be one that's like 30 bucks. Wow. And that's, you know, California, no one could, you couldn't sit, you couldn't look to a vineyard specific wine, you know, 20, 25 years ago coming out of California that was inspired for 24, 25, 26 bucks. It just didn't exist. And he's doing it. And I, I got to take my cap off. Good one. Give me one or two other ones. Uh, Anything in Europe? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the viola wines from Sicily, although uh, they are, uh, they are viola is the maker. Vi- Alessandria Viola is the V I O L A exactly. Okay, um, and the the wines he works with Catarato, he works with Nerdavola, Grillo. They are, I especially love the white wines. The white wines are, again, they have, they're made in kind of all those. those they're made in, in a way that is very natural, but they, for me, are incre- just incredibly delicious wines that I would be happy to put in anyone's hands. 
and I don't know if you're seeing a theme, the wines for me always have to come down to being just delicious, being able to, regardless of how they're made. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, but that's one of my... I know that's a crazy thing to say out loud, but I, I think when we're talking about wines that can sometimes carry VA, Brett, you know, and, and can carry some, some, some things that come along with natural wines. Part of the natural wine you discussion. Make, you want to make sure they're delicious. Right, right. Um, give me one more. Anything come to mind? Yeah, absolutely. So Viola, Method, Sauvage. And I tell my listeners, we post all this stuff oh, cool. on social so people can... You know, I'm going to put it out there because she's amazing and uh, <clears throat> she's a one-woman show and she doesn't make it into the market enough, so I don't think she gets enough TLC. And her name is Faith Armstrong. She makes Onward Wines. O-N-W-A-R-D? Yeah. Like, Where? Uh, she was based out of Sonoma County. She works out of a custom crush facility. She she sources though from like, she sources from Suisun Valley, from from up in Mendocino. She's a dear friend and she's like, you know, pet nat's the coolest thing. And she was one of the, she was the third person in the United States to make a pet nat. Really? Yeah, it was Selenia, which doesn't exist anymore. Donkey and goat, and then Tracy Brandt was on last week. I heard it. Yeah, she was great. Um, so she really has a little play in the history of that, you know, pet nats in the U.S. and everything. And she's and she's so talented. Now, do you have Onward at the store? I do. What kind of stuff is she making? Is she making a pet nat? She makes a Malvasia pet nat, um, which is like what everyone should replace their, <laughs> right. their like brunch drink with. Right. Because it's just, it's so good. I can't sell pet nat hard enough. <laughs> and like you said, for brunch, you know, it's like yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's perfect. What else does she do? Uh, and then, you know, it's funny because she's known for doing all these cool, you know, small little things. And then she makes, and I, I love her for it, she makes single vineyard Pinot Noirs. Mm. which are they're like almost they're so pure fruited they couldn't be anything but california pinot noir and i love her for it because it's exactly what they should be so it's onward onward faith faith armstrong armstrong i'll definitely post that all right chris we got to take a break um we're talking to chris leon chris is the proprietor of his own store leon and son in clinton hill brooklyn you know a highly curated as you could see um you know after talking for a half an hour there's some very interesting stuff on the shelves when we come back i want to talk about the store specifically what you're doing there what's going on um you launched a wine club i want to subject you to our wine list and we have a couple of wines to taste for our weekly wine sip. So we got a busy second half of the show. Awesome. This is Sam Ben Ruby. You're listening to The Grape Nation. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca. Located in New York's Finger Lakes region, Ithaca boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation. As the saying goes, Ithaca is gorgeous. The city is home to 150 waterfalls and gorges sprinkled through its downtown and sloping hillsides. State parks and acres of natural lands offer outdoor recreation for every level of enthusiast. Come stroll among the cool ravines, scenic hiking trails, and natural vistas. Ithaca is home to Ivy League Cornell University and Ithaca College, resulting in an influx of new cultures, new tastes, and new energy every year. 
There's so much to explore, from art galleries and museums to unique attractions like the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Ithaca sits at the heart of a blossoming heritage and craft cider industry. Some of these delicious ciders can be bought in market, but many of the most unique varieties can only be experienced with a visit to Ithaca and this great cider region. Go to visitithaca.com to get inspired and plan your trip today. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Chris Leon. Chris is the proprietor of Leon & Son, a highly curated wine shop in Brooklyn. Um, and he told me, and I knew it from my research, he's going to be opening a store in Michigan, which I'm trying to talk mad of, but it's okay. <laughs> we'll get to that. All right, so Chris, let's talk about the store. You know, we talked about what you should get out of your store and what a local store offers yep. and how to handle that. Um, talk to me about, because you were out west, then you came here, you were working, you know, wine bars, opening places. Tell me about your inspiration for the store. And there's a mission and a philosophy there. You know, let's talk about, you, you know, hospitality is part of that. You talked about that. But what are you trying to do there? Yeah, the, sh the shop, um, well, it's really, it's definitely evolved. You know, we're going on our fifth year of being open. And when I first opened the shop, it was with 300-some SKUs, and a third of those SKUs were American wine. Um, I really wanted to shine a light on what was happening domestically, and because I was so excited to have that opportunity to tell that story, um, and I kept getting a little frustrated going around the city and seeing American wine treated a little bit as a pet project on lists as opposed to a focus, which isn't necessarily the case today. There are a lot of great lists with a lot of domestic focus. Um, and then as the store was got to flesh out and get more staff and I was able to dedicate myself kind of solely to buying, I've been able to champion, you know, these kind of progressive producers that we're talking about, but they are sitting shoulder to shoulder with what I think are the icons of the wine world and the institutional corners of the wine world. So that for me, that's Burgundy, that's Piedmont, um, Champagne, Tuscany, so on and so forth. So those are all well represented. Very. <laughs> Good list of champagne. Um, wines from Piedmont, you know, beyond Barolo. Yes, uh, a lot. And how do you play the Burgundy thing? It can get expensive and hard to get. You know, how do you bring Burgundy to your store and your client? You know, we our, our least expensive bottle of Burgundy is probably, I want to think of what it is. I don't want to lie to you. But I want to say it's uh, Macon Fessigo from Macon. It's like 1999 Chardonnay that is like bi is biodynamically farmed and is absolutely it's absolutely delicious, classic Macon. Um, all the way to, we have had DRC. We don't have any in the shop right now. And we got everything in between. There's an insane amount of Burgundy. And to have that in Brooklyn and have people buying that is just a crazy privilege for me. Right. And it's important to have it, right? I mean, you need you need it for, you know, that client base. Yeah, I need it for that client base. And I, and I selfishly need it because I just, <laughs> I just think they're like, you know, they're just important wines for a reason. I don't think they're cynical. I think they're, um, I, I feel so, like I said, so lucky that we can, we can talk about Method Sauvage. Right. Uh, it's Chad, by the way. Okay. Um, and, uh, came to you. Yeah. Bubbled up. Um, and, uh, and then we can have things like, you know, Armand Russo and have, you know, 
you know, Salon. But, and I think it goes back to the California thing, but it carries through. There is sort of a theme. I mean, you're looking at smaller growers, family growers. I mean, where are you at with that? Absolutely. So, you know, I think that I have a very open philosophy to to what we bring into the shop, but it's always boiled down to if I can't point to a person or a specific place that the wine's coming from, I'm not considering it. So you need to to satisfy you. I need the guy behind the vineyard or the place. Yeah, it's not a it's not I don't, you know, I'm going to taste the wine before I know sulfur additions and yeast contributions and nutritional facts about what's how the wine is made, but those are the two things that I absolutely need to know if they're going to go on the shelf. And after that, that's it. Then I'll taste the wine. Do you taste everything you sell? Can you or for them, with the exception of like highly allocated items, things that like you kind of have to say yes or no to that are bigger than you. <laughs> you What's know? an example of that? I'm just curious. You know, we were just talking about Frank Cornelison. Okay. So the, I, I mean, it's built in that yeah. you're not going to worry about it being sold or the reputation. Highly, of... highly popular wines, but it can go from that goes from classic to supernatural and everything in between. Right. Um, so when somebody walks in the store, um, they can expect. The extension of hospitality that you had in a restaurant, you know, a curation of the wines. What else? Being able to take care of people is, it's not that hard to have a good selection of wine in New York. We're kind of in Mecca for wine. And accessibility wise, you know, I think like you can get almost what you want, which is more than most people can yeah, get. Yeah, you can tell a story with your shop or your wine list. If you're if you're working hard enough, and that can't be said in every in every wine market, right. we're so lucky here. Right. The hardest thing to do, I think, as a retailer, is to consistently have a team that wants to take care of a community, that wants to take care of everyone walking in through the door, um, and that's probably what I'm most proud of. Right. So I'd asked you before the break, you know, tell me about some stuff that's exciting you. I'm curious about the other side. What are people, you know, unsolicited? I know we talked about the check down. What do you want to spend? Mm-hmm. What are you serving? Who are you doing this with and all that? Um, when you roll all that in, what what are the buyers? I mean, what are they, what have they been drinking? What are they looking for? What are some of their, you know, patterns and trends? Can you focus on that a little? Yeah, and it's funny. It's changed. It's changed. So oh, I'm sure. With wine. Let's talk now. Well, it's crazy because wine's an agricultural product, right? Like, it, right. it only comes once a year, but it, it's changed so much it, in the last couple of years. Orange wine <clears throat> is, it's unbelievable the amount of thirst for wines with skin contact, white wines with skin contact. With your customers in your store right now. Correct. Still going. It's unbelievable. Really? Yes. Tell everyone quickly what an orange wine is. Um, it's a white wine. So white wines are typically just juice, uh, the juice that's fermented without any of the skins being uh, in contact. And red wines are made with fermentation with the skins intact. Right. So you're getting color extracted. Color, right. So when you have an orange wine made, being made, you're getting white wine that are being fermented with the skins on. Uh, and so you're extracting the color from the skins. So people come in and go, hey, listen. I want to try these orange wines, or I've been drinking them for a while. What do you got? So that that's one of them. Give me another thing. Yeah. Uh, chilled reds, uh, like really kind of swaffy wines that like require a chill that are red wine. Let's talk about a few of them, because that's definitely a thing, chilled yeah. reds. What are some of the wines that fall in that category? Uh, specific wines? 
No, I mean, specific grapes, region, you know, give me anything that comes to mind. Yeah, if you're a customer, if that's who's, who the question's for, the, you know, they should be asking for wines that are going to be low tannin, perhaps made, made carbonically. And, and for me, they can be black or blue-fruited, but the real pleasure comes when they're red-fruited. Um, a little lower alcohol? Lower alcohol. Okay. Um, and... I, I think you can use the term. You can just straight up, you can straight go into a wine store and ask for a chilled red. And if it's a wine store that is paying attention, there should be right. lots of options. Right. Um, so all those kind of add up to chilling it. It, it. it would be best for that. I'm always curious. You know, I'm pushing local wine stores in you, and you know, I believe it wholeheartedly. But what happens when a guy comes in and you recommend a wine? And he comes back and he goes, that wine sucked or it didn't work. Yeah. At least he had, you know, the balls to come back and bust your balls. Because yeah. he could have said, I'm never going there again. God bless him. You know, what, what do you do? I mean, I'm sure you weren't that wrong, but he wasn't that happy. I think you thank him first. Okay. Because, like, you know, no one bats 100. <laughs> and this is, uh, wine is personal. And what you think is delicious is not necessarily... I actually had a customer. I was walking her through Tuscany, where our Tuscan wines were. And I was recommending a bottle to her. It was a a bottle from Monte Bernardi, one of my favorite little Chianti producers. And she goes, I've realized the wines that you like to recommend are a little light for me. She's not... And she's not an industry person. She just goes, I've now realized the wines that you typically recommend for me are... And I was so happy she said that to me. And I said, oh... Now you know her profile. Thank you. You know... The only time I've taken issue with somebody told me that I sold them the worst $30 bottle of wine that I've ever, ever, that they've ever had. Uh, and she didn't bring it back. And I very politely opened the same bottle in the shop. And I said, would you want to retaste it? It was 2010 uh, San Ferriolo Doliani, which is insane. The wine is so good. And uh, she was like, oh, yes, no, this is very good. <laughs> oh, so different. It was cork Cir- or something. Oh, yeah. it was cork. She didn't know what a cork yeah. wine was probably and all of that. Um, talk to me about how important, and I think in this day and this time and the type of store that you are, um, social media, um, does that work for you? Um, are you putting time and money into online sales? Um, yep. Who is the online sale buyer? Is it the guy down the block? Do you have stuff that you know other people, don't, you know, don't can't get? Great question. So, social media is a big part of. Uh, How do you use it when new stuff comes in? Imaging, all of the above. When the shop the shop first opened, it was just me, and the phone and like snapping photos when they were coming in. And honestly, there was the stakes felt. Much, maybe it's just I don't know if times have changed or I have changed, or the business has changed. The stakes seemed a lot lower on Instagram like four or five years ago. True. And I used to just snap and post it. It's way bigger. It's become the social media platform a favor more than Facebook, way more than Twitter. So the focus. Yeah. So, you know, we posted, I would post like, this is what we're taking. And and there weren't good pictures. I don't, no one should scroll backwards. Right. You know? And, but the funny thing is, I remember our first little, our first little piece of press was in Brooklyn Magazine. I'll never forget it because I like was over the moon. Rachel Signer wrote the article and she said, they, they have a pretty happening Instagram. (laughs) And this was like Ah. 2016. Uh, I want to say, maybe late 2015. 
Which is before things blew up. I think things blew up about a year and a half ago. Oh yeah, it's it's could cr- be wrong. It's unbelievable, and it's unbelievable. It's it's a, I think it's important for every everyone along the everyone in sort of the distribution level of, of wine, um, and especially for wineries. It's unbel- the the hype that is created by wineries on Instagram is. I agree, and I'm amazed at how many people are good at it, and that many that are not even on it. You yeah, know, it's it's crazy. What about online? I mean, are you set up? Yeah. So is we, it an out of towner? Is it a local guy? I mean, who's both. buying on? It is. It's both. You know, we do local delivery. We do Manhattan delivery, and we do uh, nationwide delivery to the states that'll let us deliver. Um, and yeah, do you occasionally get stuff that not necessarily everyone has, and a guy who's interested in a particular wine in Champagne or Mano will say, yeah. But it's funny that wine could be, that wine could be like, it could be Conterno, or it could be, you know, something funky. Yeah, it could be some core Chevrony that's unfiltered, and they just don't have access to it, and. It's, I guess you need one guy who wants one wine that you have. Which you know. should encourage anyone who's operating or making a list to just do your thing because there's going to be an audience for it. You know, you don't have to pander. And I found that there was, whether it be down the street or in Champaign, Illinois, there's somebody who wants to drink good wine. Right. Um, I'll ask you this later, but I'll ask you now. If people want to fo- uh, follow Leon and Son on Instagram, what's the uh, handle? It's Leon and Sunwine. That's it. Yep. At Leon and Sunwine. All right. I want to talk about the fact that you started a wine club. Um, it's called Leon Circle. Um, I have two questions. Answer the second one first and the first one second. <laughs> okay. um, the first question, I forgot what I just said. <laughs> it's first, so just, first one, second one first, first one second. You have two questions. Okay, so how'd you get the name Leon Circle? That's second. Okay. Okay. The real question is, why the f should anyone join a wine club? Oh well, like why? We talked about people don't have a clue and they should go in and all of that, and I think the answer will extend to that. But why am I joining a wine club? So, we'll pause on Leon Circle and just talk about wine clubs in general. I think. It depends. Wine, you join a wine club either to learn or for convenience. There's maybe something in between, but really those are the silos. And some people really, yeah, they, would want, they don't want to think about it. They want wine to show up, and they want to pull a cork. And if they're learning something, amazing. So there are people who will let it go in someone else's hands. Yes. Like, Chris, I love you. For the hour we've been together, you ain't picking my wines. <laughs> but there's a ton of people... That are like, pick my wines. Yeah. So that's that. And the convenience is I drink a lot of wine, yeah. shows up. I drink every- well and drink well with me. Like, that's that's kind of the, the you know, the, the club sort of lends itself to the name. You know, the whole point that I drink best with my friends and, you know, you're, you're going to be in the inner circle. That's kind of how we, how we look at it. Right. All right. So let's do, what is it? First question, second now. Um, so what is Leon Circle? It's a wine club from you in the store. Correct. And just tell me a little more and how we get involved with it. So my wife and I launched uh, Leon Circle a year ago. And we, a lot of people had been asking me for a long time to start a wine club. And I, A, never had the bandwidth, and B, to your point, never really cared. 
And then I started actually seeing what was out there. And there are some good clubs out there, but there's, there's a lot to be desired for where people can drink well and not be spending a ton of money. And so there's really, I think there's some very like high level wine clubs that are sort of meant for the industry. Right. And then there's a lot of cynical wine clubs, for the lack of a better term, things that people are either unloading inventory or selling right. proprietary wine. Right. And a little disingenuous. Totally. And so I wanted to basically try to get a club that reflected the experience of buying a wine in the shop. And the, that means that the wines are, they're wines that I'm excited about, A, and B, they're going to be, the information is going to hopefully be digestible because we try to speak about wine in a very human way in the shop without trying to bore people to death. So let's talk about specifics. I joined the wine club. Let's talk about mechanics. Yep. Annual, quarterly, how many monthly. wines, what let monthly? Yep, monthly, 75 bucks a month, three bottles. Uh, they come with notes on the wine with a little bit of context. I think the most important thing that came out of uh, starting the club and try to just workshop what it means is that we found out that people in the shop who shop there, they don't care so much about the fruit profile. They care more about how wine feels. And so talking about wine and how it feels in every, in every month was, was, you know, so we try to boil down the things that we think matter. Um, and we do that month, month, on, on a monthly basis. So I don't want 12 months of wine a year. Am I locked into that? No. Nope. So how, how does that work? It's month to month. You get charged on the first of every month. This is where I wish my wife was here because I'd hear her be like, Chris, you just want to know how the wine... <laughs> it's every month. It's three bottles. Uh, $75 and, and at any point you need to pause or stop or cancel it, you, you can. Go. We do have gifting options for three, six in the year. Um, so you're, there's flexibility there. I oh, mean, yeah. You're working with the. Um, where do I go if I want more info? LeonCircle.com. Okay. Um, all right. We'll um, talk about that one more time before we go off. Uh, we're running out of time. I want oh, no. to uh, subject you to the wine list and I want to talk about some of the wines that you brought in. So let's uh, do the wine list. We ask our guests five questions. Everyone gets the same five questions. <laughs> don't dwell on them. Don't obsess over them. Just answer the freaking question. You got please. it. Um, what are you drinking now? What are you drinking for the store? What's in your fridge? Sometimes it's seasonal. Yeah. What, you know, what's, what's going on now? I'm drinking a lot of Sicilian wine. Okay. As I, I'm, I'm, you brought in, and we'll talk about the weekly. Why? I think that the the wine. I mean, it, for me, there's like man, it's manifest destiny. There's so few DOCGs, so people aren't shackled, and you're finding that people are really experimenting uh, successfully. And so I'm seeing a lot of inspired stuff come at a very reasonable price point. So we're going to talk about the maker, actually the two makers you brought in, but beyond them, give me a reco or two. Yeah, uh, from so you know Etna's diverse, but I'll boil it down to I guess to Etna uh, on the east side, so volcano wine, uh, and I love the wines of Ecostodi. Um, they both the white and the red. Spell for me. I, space, custodi, C U S T O D I. Okay. Um, and one of the things about Sicily is the value's really there, right? Oh Price wise. Absolutely. Um, Maybe one more. Uh, and then. I, we talked about Alessandro Viola earlier. Right. Uh, I'll mention that. <laughs> uh, and then I love Calabretta. I okay. love, tra you know, Tresa for the value. T-R-E-I-S-A? T-R-E-S-A. S-A. It's the second label of Ariana Occupinti. Ah, I And the wines that. are excellent. Are they a little less expensive? In the teens. Okay. 
That's a great call. All right. Good job on that. <laughs> All right. Uh, Chris Leon's favorite wine and food pairing. Goofiest question in the group, but uh, something a few times a year, a few times a month at least works well. At least twice a month. It's, it is some version of heavily salted roast chicken and, uh, and Chardonnay, whether it be from France or the United States. Really? Yeah. So a very salty chicken, very Salt, heavily salted. salted. Like <laughs> and what cuts through that or complements it is a Chardonnay. Is the American one full bodied, steely? What? It's typically of the like more progressive. More pro- okay. Like more. I, I'm literally just imagining a bottle of Arnold Roberts being open okay. next to my. That's a good answer because <laughs> that's definitely a type of profile. All right. Um, <clears throat> You should do a yeoman's job on this one. And don't feel like you're leaving anyone out or not. But favorite wine restaurants and or bars. You could stay in Brooklyn. That'd be great. Okay. Uh, people that have the selection, have the knowledge, have the environment, the vibe. You know, you just have a good time being there. Yeah, absolutely. So can I give you a couple? Is that oh, uh, take two, three, four. Awesome. Um, and a handful are in Manhattan. There's Crown Chai, which is downtown. Um, fairly new, very heralded. And, and, and his, his list is worth the, worth, you know, worth the list is as good as the food. Yeah, absolutely. And okay. Luke, Luke's a buddy. He lives in the neighborhood. So okay. he's, uh, he's a customer and just like, a, is Luke the owner chef? He is the wine director. The wine director. Okay. He's the man. Um, if you want to drink Burgundy and not, and actually don't have to spend that much money. Most people don't know this, but Tard. Batard. My brother-in-law does the list there, so I'm also a little bit of a homer. He's the man. That's okay. So Batard is Drew Perron. Is that still Marcus? Marcus, yeah. Uh, Marcus Glocker. Glocker. Yeah, good memory. And if you look at their wine list, you can get some good value. Yeah, he's got gems everywhere. And the food's incredible. Yeah. That's a good one. Give and me one that, or two more. And then um, Ariel at Nishnish. She's. I, I really just have to take my cap off to what she's doing. Uh, and then can time. I make a shameless plug? Sure. Monday night, July fifteenth is the Grape Nation night at Niche Niche. Oh, cool! Come on down. Pick four wines. The wines are picks from my guests. She doesn't need like she. Doesn't... I couldn't do you because we didn't meet yet. <laughs> no, no worries. I, you know, I. It's not like she needs any more press, but I gotta say, I hosted there. I don't know, like a month. Or yeah, two I remember ago. that. And it's so which cool. was nice that she pulled, you know, representation of retail. She has distributors. Some. It's so cool. And yeah. it's human. <clears throat> it's totally a human experience, which I absolutely adore. So I agree with you on that and come on out this Monday if you're listening in the next few days. Give me one more. Good job so far. I appreciate it. Uh, our buddy- you're a crappy interview, but those answers <laughs> got you out of this. No, I'm joking. Pass. I'm totally joking. Go ahead. Uh, I really, I, 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 my buddies down the street from the shop are the Fly. It's a, I know it's a roast chicken shop place, and it's, never heard of it. The whole list is like, the majority of the list is like under sixty bucks. The Fly. The Fly in Clinton Hill. In Clinton Hill. Great, great answers, Chris. All right, favorite all time wine. It doesn't have to be one. It could be more. I say this over and over. You know, it used to be the most expensive and rare. Now it's experiential. It could be any of those. What What is like an important wine to you? Uh, it requires a touch of context, but 82 Chapelet. Okay. It, Love I, that. I came back from that time in Sonoma, and I got home right around Christmas, and I I was really just starting to understand wine and understand that it needs to be kept well. 
and my dad had a had an okay selection, a couple hundred bottles. Sorry, I'll be super quick. No, no, no. We're I was fine. dusting off the bottles because I was like, Dad, you gotta drink some of these, man. And I, he literally teared up because he was old, opening old Pesquera. It was mainly Spanish mm. wine, oh, but it was dead because it wasn't kept well, you right, know. Right, right. And his, I could, his heart, I could physically see his heart breaking. And I found, we found a couple bottles. Uh, I found this bottle of Chapelet, and it's embarrassing because they had branded the bottle at, for like I don't know who it was for, but it was it had like it was embossed for like Merry Christmas. Oh Some, boy! So someone had painted on the the winery head, and. I was like, let's open it. We dusted it off. I opened it on the, on our deck in the middle of December, and it was absolutely stunning. So that's great maker, great wine. But was 82 any kind of significant year or not necessarily? Great vintage, yeah. I mean, 82 seems to be like almost like a global vintage. It's crazy. I mean, it launched Parker and Bordeaux. wasn't bad in yeah. Napa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he, the funny, the funny part is the same day because that Parker crushed eighty-one um, Cheval Blanc, and we open. He said, "This is a this is a pedestrian wine." Oh, really? This is yeah. He said, "This you know if, if you blind this, this isn't a real wine." And we in that same day we opened eighty-one Cheval Blanc because my dad had bought it upon release for like I don't know fifty bucks, whatever. Yeah. And uh, also singing, singing, and this was the wine that was like totally, totally torn apart by Robert Parker. Uh, but that eight, I just want to say a thing about the 82 Chapelet that I went down the, the rabbit hole after that wine and I realized Kathy Corson made that wine. Uh, she did? Yeah. She was, she was the winemaker of Chapelet until like 88 and I didn't know that. Uh, I think I knew that. I forgot. It, she's making some great stuff on her own now. She's unbelievable. All right. Good job on that. 82 Chapelet. Um, I think 87 was a killer vintage in Napa. Even right. though, I mean, it got better and better. All right, last question. And if you can't answer this, nobody can. This is why you're here. Okay. <clears throat> we ask everybody, recommend the best wine around 15 to 20 bucks retail. This setup has been beaten to death. My kids are in their 20s. They're going to a dinner party. They're going to give a gift. They ain't bringing a $9, $11 bottle of wine. Embarrassing. They don't have the money for 40 45 15, 20, impressing everyone. Yeah. What am I giving him for a red? Give me a white. I like Marcus Altenberger, Vom Kalk Blaufrankisch. Okay, wow. So I. A L T E N B E R G. It looks like Alten, A L T E N, and then Burger, like I'm eating a burger. Okay. Blancenfrosch. Blaufrankisch. Uh, Blaufrankisch. Um, Vom Kalk is the name of the wine, but it means from limestone. Okay. And his whole estate is limestone. And the wine is like so much better than it needs to be. It's, it, it, he tries to make it in an unserious style, all tank, slightly carbonic, but the terroir comes through so clearly. Um, that it, and it's in that price range? 15, 18, oh, 20? I want to say it's 18 bucks. Perfect. Give me a red. That's a red. Sorry. Oh, that, I'm sorry. Uh, so we want to do a white? Yes. Uh, we're going to go American. Cool. We're going to go Forlorn Hope, Queen of the Sierra White. It's 19.99, so we're inching. I'm getting to the ceiling of your price point, but... No, no, that's fine. Wine, finding American wine. Forlorn Hope. I like to hear that. Yeah, Forlorn Hope, Queen of the Sierra White. It's an esoteric blend of Chardonnay and Riesling. And the Riesling... Just those two, or there's more in just there? Just those two. <clears throat> and How it, does that work? Well, for them? Oh, it's so tense. You know, if you have a little bit of the texture, but in it, it's like a freight train of acid. Wow. It's so good. All right, so like I said earlier, I will post um, Chris's... Um, 
wineless choices and we're going to morph into the uh, weekly wine sip you know every week we taste a different wine on air um, for our weekly wine sip um, i asked chris to bring a wine in he thought he had to impress me so his first wine was like a 70 80 dollar <laughs> bottle of wine i said chris it, man it was just selfish you gotta you're right i mean i would have been <laughs> glad to taste it with you but <laughs> we bring wine to the people so Chris brought in a 2018 Mortalito, help me with this, Calaniuro yes, from on. Sicily. Um, organic, it's a blend of Frappato and Nero Davolo. What else can you tell me about this wine? It's in a not, uh, a, not a super well-known area in Sicily, southeast, literally just staring at, I think it's Tunisia. Okay. Right? It's staring at Africa. Uh, and it's an area called Valle de Noto, and it's made by a young guy who... He looks like he's like he looks like a sun-kissed surfer. Right. You know, he's probably like mid thirties and just makes two wines. There's isn't a stave of wood in his cellar. It's all tank. Right. He makes a white from Grillo. He makes this red, and they both are like ocean spray. Uh, you know, they are delicious. Yeah, and they really are. So let's let's uh, let's evaluate it. So the color is sort of. Uh, it's, you know, like a pale red. Yeah, cranberry juice. Cranberry juice. You it looks know, like you can cranberry see juice. through it. Not dense. Um, let's go nose. I'm okay. gonna throw that to you. What do you get on the nose? I get again. I get like red apples and cranberries. You get red apples. Yeah. Mm. All right. Uh, Mouthfeel. Pretty medium. You know, not a thin wine. You wouldn't expect from the look this to be unctuous, mm-hmm. but it's it's got a beautiful mouthfeel, right? Absolutely. Mouth filling. It is. It, it has like soft. It's soft. It's softer and fuller than you would we would think. But there's. It's still so fresh. Mm, very fresh. Um, on the palate, do you get a lot of the nose on the palate? What else new on the palate? Do you, you get those apples and cranberries. I get apples, cranberries, but also there's like tons of zest and kind of this like la- lilacy lavender. Flower, some floral, which but is, interesting floral. So, which is classic frappato for me. Now, give me classic pairings for this. This wine would do so well with like, um, I, I'm not thinking salmon. What's the Arctic char? Which is orange, yeah, but a little different profile than like salmon. Like a meatier, oilier yeah. fish. You, I feel like you would roast. We would just tear apart with this Arctic char. So Arctic char and this <laughs> frappato nero di volo. <laughs> That's fancy. a good pair. Um, I like this wine a lot. What's the retail? About twenty five bucks. Twenty three. All right, before I let you go and we do the show wrap-up, you brought in another wine, which you may release on your Leon Circle Wine Club. Yeah, we're kind of tasting it together. Yeah, so it's a, it's a white wine. Tell me quickly a little about it. It's an Etna producer, so it's a little bit Another more... Sicilian. Yep, so we're in Etna. It's sort of a more iconic producer than, than Mortalito. Uh, they're named Calabretta, and they are very famous for making incredibly powerful, furrow red Norello Mascalese, but you don't see a lot of the white in the market. And this is made from um, the white grape that is typically in Etna Bianco, which is called Caracante. Right. And so I'm tasting this kind of for the Tell first time. Tell me what you think. Have you decided this is going on the club mm-hmm. or not yet? So let's dis- let's decide today, all right? <laughs> I'm the final vote. Tavo gets one vote, and then I break it. <laughs> what do you think? I think it's good. Not great. The bar is set high for Etna Bianco. And, and for the wine club. You know, for the wine club. I, I think it, the nose is super classic, though, for people who don't it's drink. It's a nice nose. 
that kind of almondy sort of bitter almond thing is so Italian and so classic, so classic um, Etna Bianco. So good wine, mm-hmm. good value, good value, good producer. As far as context of the wine club, maybe, maybe not. It's a, it's a, it's a maybe. Were With you hoping M. for better? I was. Okay. That, hey, listen, we only do it honest on the air. Um, all right, Chris, we got to wrap up. Okay. <clears throat> um, if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. Follow us at Instagram at SBenRuby and the hashtag The Grape Nation. On Twitter, we're at BenRuby and the hashtag The Grape Nation. Um, you can subscribe to The Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Um, like I said, all show, we'll post Chris wine list answers. We'll post the weekly wine sip, and we'll sneak in a bunch of the other wines that he talked about. Um, Chris, I asked you this earlier, but let's tell people again. If people want to follow you, find out more. First, Leon and Son website, more about the store. Where are they going? Yep. So, leonandsonwine.com okay. is the site. Uh, Instagram? Leon and Son Wine. It's at Leon and Son Wine. So. Okay. Do you do Facebook? We do, but it's, it's going to just So, just stay on Instagram and go to the website. Yeah. Um, what about you personally? Uh, it's C-R-S-L-E-O-N. Okay. So if you want to see uh, Chris sort of sneaking around, um, <laughs> you can go to that besides Leon and Son. All right. I want to thank our guest, Chris Leon. Chris is the proprietor of Leon and Son um, in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn, a highly curated wine shop and a really good example of somebody that's kind of bringing the fire to you if you live there or you go online. Thank you for that. I want to thank our engineer, Amanda, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.